You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. My name's Cole Kirby. I'm a covenant member here, and it is with humility and honor that I have the opportunity to uh, preach the word this morning. Um, Marshall and his wife are taking a couple weeks out of town and getting some rest, and that is something we highly encourage and we're grateful for. And so over the next couple of weeks, different people will be stepping in, and I am one of them. And with that being said, uh, we're going to get started. We've got a lot to cover this morning. The topic is prayer. And over the past few weeks, Marshall did a sermon series really focusing on the three pillars at Sojourn that we um, really base all ministry from, which is the gospel, the church, and the mission of the church. And so we're going to talk about prayer specifically and how it relates to those three things. How does prayer relate to the gospel? How does prayer relate to the church? And how does prayer relate to mission? And some of those things are going to overlap. Some of them are going to be specific. And um, we could not do an exhaustive sermon on prayer. Um, That would be a sermon series that would probably last multiple years. Um, So today we're just going to focus on one facet that I think will help us to be equipped as Sojourn Mantra specifically um, to reach this neighborhood and to love each other well. Um, So before we get started, I would ask that you would pray with me, which I think is fitting as we talk about prayer. Um, Lord, you are very good, and we worship you. Uh, We worship you in that you are a God who has ordained that as a part of the way that he orchestrates and runs the universe, that you would hear your people's cries to you, and you would respond. Uh, We praise you that you are a loving God that answers prayer. Um, We praise you for the mystery that that is and and our inability to understand it. And ultimately today, we ask that you would call us to be a praying people and that you would show your faithfulness and your love to us in your response. It's in the name of Jesus um, who has saved us and called us into a position in which prayer is even effective that we pray. Amen. So, So the the objective is to talk about prayer in regards to the gospel, church, and mission. Uh, but first, we kind of need to establish what is prayer? What are we talking about when we say prayer? And that could also be a really long answer, but we're going to sum it up um, in the way that Wayne Grudem does and just say that prayer is a personal communication with God. This does not have to be an individual communication. It can also be a communal communication, but prayer is simply when God's people communicate with him. Um, This can be with words, this can be with writing, this can be with song, Um, but when we as God's people communicate with him, that is prayer. And and then we have another interesting place, especially in in kind of where we sit in um, the evangelical culture of being reformed, where there's often this tension between God being completely sovereign and in control of everything and, and saying that even when the dice are rolled, the outcome is in the hands of the Lord and then saying that God responds to his people when they pray. And what we're not going to be able to do this morning is reconcile those. We're not going to be, I'm not going to be able to give you an answer in the time that we have this morning where, where we can fully understand how that works, but we have to understand that Scripture never sees that as a discrepancy. Scripture never sees those two ideas in conflict, that God is completely sovereign and that at the same time he lovingly responds to his people in prayer. And, and so that's kind of where we're going to work from is, yes, God is sovereign over all. He is in control of all. But in his sovereignty, is he has ordained that he would respond to his people's prayers. And that is good news. And so uh, really the first thing that we need to tackle is, is this idea that God does, in fact, answer prayer. 
And so in Matthew 7, which Chelsea just read, we have Jesus teaching the disciples in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably the most famous and important teaching of Jesus in his ministry. And in that, starting in verse 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? And so here we have this really encouraging and, and impactful um, teaching from Jesus where he's saying, when you ask of the Lord, he's going to respond. When, when you seek him and, and, and entreat him to move, he's going to do so. And he does this by referencing a, a father-son relationship on earth or a parental relationship where when a kid asks for something that is, is good, a parent does not lovingly respond by giving him something different, something that is bad. He doesn't give a stone for bread. He doesn't give a poisonous snake when he asks for something else. And, and so this also means that, that God does not give us bad gifts. He only gives us good gifts. But what it also means, and, and I think it's very fair to reason this, is that God is also not going to give us bad gifts when we ask for him to do that. Sometimes we as people do not know what is best for us and we ask of him things that would not be good. God is not going to give us poisonous snakes if we ask for them. He's going to lovingly as a father say, no son, no daughter, that is not best for you to have a poisonous snake. That's actually to your detriment. And so, so we see God answering prayers um, in Matthew 7. We see Jesus teaching that this is an attribute of God, that he listens to his people when we call on him. And then in James chapter 4, I think we have the most clear and, and just straightforward passage in all of Scripture in regards to God answering prayers. Starting in verse 2, James says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Which it is fair to reason that if we ask as God's people, then we will have. James is saying your lacking is really a result of you not even asking. And, And I think about like a job situation and somebody complaining about never getting a promotion or a raise when they don't have the confidence and the boldness to go before their boss and say, I, I, this, is, this is something I need. I, I need this to support my family. I need this to continue moving forward. And, and so when we do not have, James is telling us it's, it's because we're not asking. But then in verse 3, he goes on and he makes a very important um, distinction. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so here we see that, yes, God answers prayers when we ask, we will have. When we call upon the Lord, he will respond. But, but sometimes he doesn't, and, and it's not because he's not good. It's not because he doesn't hear us. It's because we ask wrongly. And, and so really, as we move forward into the, the three main topics of gospel, church, and mission in regards to prayer, I kind of want to make a a disclaimer in that if you are not a believer in the room, 
this morning, prayer looks completely different for you than it does for, for those who have called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. For those who have come into a place where they know God through Jesus Christ, prayer is different. And, and, and that's because apart from Christ's work in our hearts, we never have the ability to ask rightly. We never have the wisdom or the maturity or the sanctification to pray prayers that, to pray prayers that are in line with God's will. And so if, if you're not a believer in the room and you've been praying and praying and praying, wondering why God has not responded, um, it, it's simply because God has promised to answer the prayers of his people who are in him, who ask rightly, who ask for things that might glorify him and extend his kingdom, who ask for things that might work to the goodness and to the glory of his name through his people. And so, so for the Christian, this is encouraging. We have a God who is constantly changing us to be more like him in that our prayers will become more and more effective as we know him more, as we understand his will more completely. And and so then we we see um, my favorite example of God answering prayer is in Exodus 32. And, And so in Exodus 32, Moses goes up on the mountain and he receives the law. And when he comes down, the Israelites have already started worshiping other gods. They've created this golden calf and they're worshiping him. And they're not just worshiping this God um, arbitrarily. They're attributing their freedom from Egypt to this God that they created with their hands. And and God sees this. And this is what he says to Moses in verse 7 of Exodus 32. He says, Go down for your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt and, and they've corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this pe- people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. And so here we have God seeing his people turning from him, worshiping other gods, and he is rightly, as the God of the universe, angry. And he is rightly jealous for his people's affection. And he is rightly determined to act in wrath on his people. And he even reminds Moses of his promise to Abraham that he would make a great nation of them. And he says, this is how I'm going to make a great nation of you. And hear Moses' response. He says, but Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And then verse 14 says, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So we have God being rightly angry with his people and determined to act upon it with wrath. And Moses saying, no, Lord, remember your promise. 
Remember your promise, spare these people. And then the Lord relents. The Lord gives Moses an opportunity to remember the promises he made, to appeal to the power of the Lord, and the Lord honors that by relenting. And so we see that God is a God that answers prayer. And if we don't understand that, then really discussing prayer this morning is silly. Because then prayer is reduced to um, maybe a self-help meditation or, or a good way to relax. Um, but if prayer is not an action by which we can expect results, then it's really a waste of time. And I think of that like people that go to the gym. You don't go to the gym every week and get sweaty and exhausted and have to fill your body with tons of carbs and protein just because you like to. You do it for results. You're disciplined in that because it's a discipline in the same way that prayer is a discipline. But it's discipline with the expectation of results. If I spend time in the gym, I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be more mentally relaxed. My diet will increase. My lifespan will increase. Because in this discipline, I expect positive results. And so in the same way, my hope is that we as a people here in Montrose would be a praying people in discipline. But not just a praying people, but a people that pray with expectation that the God of the universe would give us results. That he would respond to our prayers for the good of our community and for the good of this neighborhood. And so we move into prayer in regards to the gospel. And if you're taking notes this morning, there's going to be three main points in this section. And that first is that prayer is effective as a result of the gospel. And, and the second is prayer is a response to the gospel. And the third is that prayer is a proclamation of the gospel. And so prayer is effective as a result of the gospel. And there are really um, two main ways that we're going to discuss this. But first, let's, I mean, let's just think about this. We have the God of the universe who has lovingly invited us into relationship with him through Jesus. And so if you're wondering what we say when we mean the gospel, it's just the simple truth that God in his goodness has redeemed us as a rebellious people for his glory and for our good. And that is through Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is through appealing to his death on the cross, his life and resurrection, that we might be made new in God through Jesus. And so prayer is effective because of this. Prayer is effective because of this in that in Jesus, we have a perfect high priest. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, we see the Israelites and, and really the way that they petitioned the Lord um, most regularly was through the high priest who would go into the temple and he would offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. And, and he would bring the prayers before the Lord and hope that in the sacrifice that the Lord would gracefully respond. But it was, it was a system that was really put in as a placeholder for the cross, which, which is something that we could talk about for a long time, but we're just going to leave it at that, is that the sacrificial system was a placeholder for the cross. And, and in Jesus, we now have a perfect high priest. And so... Um, if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, uh, we'll start in verse 14 where it says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. 
in Jesus, we have a perfect sacrifice. We have the perfect appeal to the God of the universe in Jesus' righteousness being traded for our unrighteousness. In Jesus, we have not only a, a high priest with a perfect sacrifice, but a high priest with perfect understanding. When Jesus goes before the Father on our behalf, he understands the human condition. He was tempted in every way, it said, yet he was without sin. And so we have a perfect high priest who is able to understand our condition and who is able to provide perfect sacrifice in order that our prayers might be heard and God might respond gracefully. And we don't only have a perfect high priest, but we have a perfect intercessor in prayer, a perfect helper in prayer in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 would, would put it this way. It would say that, that in, our, in our times of prayer, there are groanings too deep for words and that the Holy Spirit will come in and intercede for us with those groanings. That even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words when we don't know how to pray as we ought. And, and, so, and so the Holy Spirit is a result of the gospel as well. It, upon faith in Jesus in a way that saves, he, God gives his Holy Spirit to his people as a helper, as an intercessor. And so prayer is effective because of the gospel. And prayer is a response to the gospel. In prayer, um, we see worship, confession, and repentance, all three of which are responses to the gospel. We worship the Lord in prayer because of his goodness to save us. We, we see that over and over and over again in, in Paul's letters when he writes prayers at the beginning of them, and they're just worship because of what Jesus has done for his church. And, and so prayer is a, resu- is a perfect response to the gospel. Confession. We recognize our inability. We recognize our inability to achieve a certain level of righteousness, and we appeal to the perfect righteousness of Jesus. We confess, Lord, I have failed, but you have provided goodness. I can't do it, but you have done it. I'm unable, but you're perfectly capable. And so we confess as a response to the gospel, and we repent as a response to the gospel. We say that, Lord, I have fallen away. I have sinned against you in this way, but I know that you're goodness, and I know that you've given me a new identity as a son or as a daughter, and I turn from that and toward you. And we do that in prayer as a response to the good news of Jesus. And then my third, my third point here is that prayer is a proclamation of the gospel. And, and in that, in our, a gospel response um, outside of prayer, but the gospel response of faith is to say, God, I'm unable. I recognize that you are fully able, and I trust in your ability rather than my own. I trust in your perfection, your righteousness, your holiness rather than my own. And prayer is a proclamation of that truth. Because when we pray, when we ask the Lord to do things, what we're saying is, God, there's this thing that I want to see accomplished that I'm completely unable of accomplishing. I'm completely incapable of making this happen on my own, but I appeal to you who's perfectly capable. I appeal to you who's perfectly powerful. I appeal to you who's completely sovereign. And so in prayer, we are constantly proclaiming the gospel and the action of praying. We're humbling ourselves and admitting our inability and appealing to a God who is able. 
And so prayer is effective as a result of the gospel. It is a response to the gospel, and it is a proclamation of the gospel. And and now we move into prayer in regards to the church. And and really, uh, this is... Um, this was kind of the inspiration for this to be the topic today. And if you don't know, we're almost a year old here. And I, I was thinking about what would, what would I want for us as a community? What would I want for us to be defined by over the next year? Uh, as we're continuing to make it out of growing pains, as we're continuing to grow, and, but at the same time addressing new conflicts, new issues, and it was that I would want us to be a people that pray. And, and I think that I think there's a way, especially in the demographic of this church being young, that as a young generation, we can be so action-focused, that we can be so focused on, let's go do this, let's go meet people, let's make disciples, let's preach the word, let's build relationships, let's have parish gatherings, let's have events. And, and action is good, but if all we have is action and no prayer, we have ceased to be the church. A church that does not pray is a community organization. It's a nonprofit group. It's a charity, but it is not a church. And we see that in that throughout all of the scriptures, specifically the New Testament, when the church is established, that the church is consistently called, commanded, and recorded historically as being a people that pray. And so I'm just going to go through a bunch of texts that I found in the scriptures that talk about this because. I really trust the scripture's wisdom more than my own uh, to make this point. And so we're going to start 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Colossians 4.2 and 3 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word and declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Acts 2, 42 through 47, which really this is the, the coolest historical representation of who the church is and encouraging us in what we should be. It says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In this text, we see the church being faithful and receiving the apostles' teaching and devoting themselves to gospel community and to prayer. And what happens? All comes upon every soul, and people are coming to know Jesus. So as the church, we must pray if we expect our church to be effective. Romans 12, 12, 12 through 13 says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, 18 and 19, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. 
Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also must help us by prayer so that, by, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Ephesians 6, 16 and 18, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And and so the church is called, commanded, and recorded as being a praying people. But really, as a church, when we pray, what can we expect to happen? What what can we expect to happen in prayers? If we're going to people, a people who devote ourselves to this discipline with expectation that things will happen, what do we expect? Well, first, praying will increase our effectiveness in our roles as church members. As we pray for one another in the different roles that we have, the Lord is going to be faithful to provide strength, to provide wisdom, to provide guidance. When we pray for our elders and our deacons, the Lord is going to be faithful to make them better leaders. When we pray for our covenant members, the Lord is going to be faithful to increase our holiness, to increase our humility, to increase our servanthood. And so when we pray, we we will increase and in our ability to perform the roles we've been given in the church. Praying will also increase our love for one another and our identity as a family. And so, really, if you spend any amount of time praying consistently for a person or a group of people, you will inevitably grow to love them. (laughs) And this could be someone that you find completely offensive and obnoxious, and maybe you even have sinful hate toward them, but man, if you start praying for them, the Lord's going to change your heart and you're going to love them. The Lord's going to soften you to his will as you pray for them. Rather than sitting around and grumbling about the ways that they've mistreated you, pray for them that they would repent. Pray for them that they would mature. Pray for them that they would grow in holiness. And in that process, you're going to find that you repent. You're going to find that you mature and you're going to find that you grow in holiness. And so, Praying for one another will increase our love for one another and our identity as a family. If we as a church are a family, but do not pray for one another, we're not a family. If we, we profess that we love one another, but we don't spend time asking the Lord to move powerfully in each other's lives, then we don't really love one another. If we have this access to the God of the universe who is powerful over all, and we do not ask that he would come and minister and change the hearts of those that we love, then I'm convinced that we do not love those people. And, and then the, the last point is something I already said, and that it's that without praying, we cease to be the church. If, if you call yourself a church member, but you are not entreating the Lord, you're not. If, if you say that we are a church, but we're not consistently praying for him to uphold us, to sustain us, to grow us in holiness, in reverence, in worship, in repentance, then we're not a church. We're really no different than any other nonprofit organization here in Houston. Uh, we, we've ceased to be the church when we cease to pray. And, and really what we can expect is in prayer as a church, we'll see the Lord do a few things. We'll see him, see him heal the sick. We'll see him comfort widows and orphans. 
We'll see him give rest to those who are weary. We'll see him open the wombs of those who are barren. We'll see him strengthen, strengthen the saints for the work of ministry. We'll see him increase our love for one another. We'll see him increase the ability of our leaders to perform uh, the work of ministry. When we pray, we'll, what we'll find is that God will lovingly, faithfully, and in wisdom respond, that we might be built up as a people of God for his glory. And then the last thing in which we're going to talk about prayer is mission. And this is really the most simple one. It really comes down to this, and that's that in praying that people in our lives will come to know Jesus, we will see people in our lives come to know Jesus. When we ask that the Lord would soften the heart of the sinner and call them to worship, the Lord is going to soften the heart of the sinner and call them to worship. When we ask that the Lord would do a powerful work in this neighborhood for his glory, for his fame, we're going to see that the Lord is going to do a powerful work in this neighborhood for his glory and for his fame. And if, if we say that we are on mission because we are going and meeting people in the neighborhood and sharing our faith with them, but we're not praying that the Lord would change their heart, then what we are is A, arrogant in thinking that we can accomplish that work on our own, and B, foolish for missing out on the Lord actually accomplishing it. Praying as part of mission it acknowledges the saving power of God that we do not have. When we pray, what we do is we say, Lord, I cannot change this person's heart, but man, I want to see them come to faith. I cannot change this person's rebellion, but man, I want to see you change it. And and if we say that we love this neighborhood or that we love friends and family that don't know Jesus, but we're not consistently praying that the Lord would save, then we have failed to love them well. No act of service, no act of truth speaking can equate to us calling on the powerful God of the universe to soften the heart of those who are hard. And so if we don't pray, then we are not on mission, at least not on mission for the Lord and for his fame. We might be on mission for some organization called Sojourn Mantras, but if we do not pray, we have ceased to be on mission for the Lord as God calls us to through Jesus in Matthew 28. And, and, and then in the same way that it is true for our community as a church, praying for the lost will increase our love for the lost. As we pray consistently that people who don't know Jesus will know Jesus, we're going to find that we love them a lot more. We're going to find that when we're around them, we're more brokenhearted by their brokenness. We're going to find that when we think about them, that our desire for them to change is going to be stronger. If we're not praying for those people in our lives, then we're failing to love them. We're not praying that the Lord would move in power, then we're failing to be the friends, the brothers, the sisters, the sons, the daughters that God has called us to be. And so, so prayer, prayer is going to lead to people being saved. Prayer is us acknowledging God's power to save, and prayer is going to increase our love for those that we want to see saved. And so really the practical application of this morning is that is it really starts with believing the gospel. We have to believe that God is really powerful to change things that we're not powerful to change. And then as we believe the gospel, we have to believe the truth of scripture that says that God hears his people and he lovingly responds in prayer. That he has lovingly invited us into the running of the universe 
as his children through prayer. So let us press into these truths as we pray prayers of confession, repentance, and worship. Let us confidently draw near to the Lord in prayer as we pray that the Lord would do a work in our church that will make us a better representation of his perfection in this neighborhood. We should respond by spending time in prayer, not only as a discipline, but as an action by which we expect results. The promise that God gives good gifts to his children is true, so we should expect that we will grow in intimacy with him and each other as we pray more faithfully. We should expect that our leaders will be more effective as we pray for them. We should expect that many people will come to know Jesus in this neighborhood through us praying to that end. Then our prayers should and will move us to more action. As we pray, we will grow in boldness and outreach. As we pray, we will mature in our roles in the church. As we pray, we will walk as a more united body. And as we pray, God will be faithful to listen, respond, and move powerfully 